Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Great beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. I'm jet propelled at all times. (laughs) How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example. And this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. They're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five? Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, welcome everybody. It's The Session. We're back with another great brewery. We're talking with a bunch of the fellas from Red Clay Brewing from Opelika, Alabama. And uh, welcome, guys. We have, uh, if you're if you're watching live, we have uh, four uh, four boys representing the. the... <laughs> is that you, Teresa? Oh yeah, that is. Sorry, <laughs> let me get that. That's all right, man. Uh, that's all right. We're like I said, we're still trying to figure this out. Uh, we have Emmanuel, and we have John, and we have Carrie, and we have Stephen, and uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I have, of course, a bunch of your beer sitting in my my cool desktop refrigerator, which, uh, as I mentioned before, is just a converted wine fridge. So, uh, you know, I don't, I, I happen to have a spare wine fridge because in California, you're just, you're issued them. I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, small wine fridges <laughs> and uh, parking tickets. Even though you don't drive, like, just you, we get a tons amount of parking tickets out here for for literally no reason. Um, so let's just jump right in, boys. Uh, I want to know a little bit about Red Clay Brewing. I want to know how you guys got connected. I want to know about your your histories. I want to know everything. Um, John and Carrie and Stephen, you guys are all founders. You're all co-founders of the brewery. Yeah. Were you guys childhood friends? Did you guys meet on Craigslist? How did you How did you guys connect <laughs> up? So Stephen and I, we grew up together. Um, I'd say probably from what, middle school till yeah. Till still now, oh. ongoing, <laughs> and I I sort of uh, hooked up with Carrie's sister, and uh, <laughs> and so 
I married a sister. We're brother-in-laws. <laughs> okay, still. All right. All right. I thought yeah, I was going to. We're gonna... still together. Okay. All right. Because usually but, uh, the, the I but, hooked uh, up doesn't doesn't end with marriage. Usually I hooked up is like, and then we got in a fight and, uh, you know, we beat each other up for a bit and then it's fine. Yeah. Well, he, he's always said if, if, if I ever, you know, anything happens, he, he wins me in the, in the, in the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I was just kidding. So no, uh, but yeah. So we've known each other for years, um, and uh, just you know, we homebrewed for a good while uh, when we, you know, I was living in Georgia at the time, and okay, Harry was finishing up college, and you know, we just you know decided one day, you know, after plenty of beers and long nights of brewing and sitting by a campfire, that we uh, wanted to start a brewery. Um, you know, we had a lot of friends who you know, we're going in, you know, and helping us with this, you know, covering the cost of the grains, you know, coming over bottling and kegging with us and all that stuff. And, you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's a typical, you know, we got this cool idea and everybody wants some, so <laughs> we figured, why not make some money off of it one day? And so that's what we did. Well, um, and, and here's, here's always my fear, or at least it's always something that we bring up on the show is, is what percentage do you think of your friends liked you for your beer and what percentage were just your actual friends? And then, and, and then well, didn't invite anybody over that didn't like us prior. So. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I go with about half and half. Yeah, half and half. I mean, that's just sort of what makes sense, I would guess, right? Like, you know, you have to understand. And then I always wonder about the amount of, um, of you know, feedback of of like, are you more impressed with this being homebrew? versus hey this is a really good beer what, did you ever think about that going into it like hey wait a minute maybe people are just stoked that we made this in our closet instead of it being like a really good pale ale can't think about it now <laughs> no but well, like you know, <laughs> but beforehand because our best to keep it going yeah true right. well you know it's sort of funny like you know we actually a lot of our homebrew recipes well probably more specifically our stout which was our original first homebrew batch um oh it, wow it ended up being one of our one of our lineup beers that we keep in the tap room pretty regularly so um i'm glad so we you try to we try to you know you know keep a lot of that stuff that we that we did back then but you know the I, i'll have to say you know the the neat thing about this new project we're doing with the manual is it brings back a lot of those you know fuzzy fun feelings that we used to have when creating the recipes as homebrewers because you know, we're doing something we haven't really done before and we're it's sort of forcing us to go into, you know, not your normal, you know, come up with a recipe, run it through the system, make sure it works. Okay. We're going to brew it. And we're good to go. Yeah. It's a lot of research involved, you know? And so that's what we're really enjoying about it. What are you, uh, well, let's just, let's talk about that. What are you guys doing? Emmanuel, what are you, uh, what, how did you get teamed up with uh, the boys at Red Clay? Well, I first, uh, met John, uh, what was it? Six, seven years ago, John? Emmanuel, we're getting quite old. It's getting closer <laughs> to 10, 10-ish years ago. Damn. I, I am getting much older. Um, well, I, I get this call from this young man uh, uh, from Auburn University, the program there, that the hospitality program that a, a very uh, good friend of mine uh, oversees, Hans van der Ryden. He's an ex-Ritz-Carlton guy, as I am. Um, and, uh, this young man says, you know, I'd like to work at, uh, I'm involved with the program here at Auburn. I'd like to, uh, 
work a harvest at your winery. Wow. And so I said, sure, why not? And he ended up working two harvests uh, at uh, our winery. And then we just stayed in touch. Um, and as time went on, he told me, oh, I'm now starting this brewery with some friends. Um, come on over. And I would come over and uh, see how they were from the very beginning and just see how they were growing into making some really very good beers. Um, and uh, so every time I'd go out there to work and distribute, you know, uh, work with my distributor wines out there, um, I would stop by and we'd have a drink and I'd go by the brewery and taste the beers and came away each time. I came, God, these guys are making really good beer. Um, and John always said, gosh, if we could ever figure out a way to do something together, I'd love to do some kind of collaboration. And, um, you know, we have a saying in the wine business, takes a lot of beer to make good wine because that's all <laughs> we drink at harvest. Right. Right. Um, long hours, hot. And, uh, so I'd always enjoyed beer. And so I started thinking, well, God. Well, it would be interesting to see what a master sommelier and a master brewer could come up with as as a kind of a different concept of a craft beer because they they're already making very good craft beer so right. if we're going to do something it had to be something unique and different um that's right and and you're a master sommelier you are you're the one you're talking about. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> Started drinking wine at a very young age. Of course. Uh, and uh, I, in fact, I was the 12th American to become a master sommelier back in 89. Oh, wow. Uh, before all these guys were born, I think, anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, so then I thought, you know, how, how does a wine person come into this and think about this. And so then I started thinking, uh, you know, wine is very geographically based and also very historically based. Yeah. So then I started thinking, okay, well, this, this should have, each beer should have a, like the French say, a raison d'etre, a reason for being right. Okay. Um, and so I started thinking of the different types of, of beer and what we should start out with. And uh, so a Pilsner, uh, an ale, and a stout. And um, started thinking about each one and what I liked and uh, from, from the many I had tasted were whether they be local American or, or European. And that's, uh, I came up with these ideas and I threw them at these guys <laughs> and they said, great. They didn't kick you it. out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was, that was really, uh, for me that, that was, uh, really a rewarding experience for, for, for them to try something really outside the box. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and it's it's sort of what John was saying, where you know, as I think as as brewers, and I'm not a professional brewer, but I used to homebrew, and uh, but talking to a lot of brewers on the show, it is hard for for you guys to sort of find. And Teresa, you can probably speak to this too. There, there's there's a sort of a small window, I think. Uh, to find your creative niche or to really expand the horizon and not be too weird about it. You know right. what I mean? Like now there's like like jello beer, you know, like clumpy beer, beer that looks like slime or all this nonsense that's not, it, it, you know, it's it's just for show. And if you guys do any of that, I apologize. It's really great. Um, but but it, it, it sounds like working with Emmanuel, you guys can, you know, have the opportunity, like you were saying, John, the fuzzy feeling of, of creativity again. Yeah, it definitely gives us that. And we're very classic in our styles that we brew. Um, you know, we, yeah. we, we try our best and Carrie can speak more to that uh, in a second. But, you know, it's sort of funny that uh, when we were on last October, that's when Emmanuel approached us. He, he actually approached us the day before we went on your show. Oh, nice. Because um, we were, he, he's from there and he was doing some business out there. Um, so he's like, oh, you're, you're, out in San Francisco. I was like, yeah, he's like, well, let's meet. And so we, we met up and he, you know, presented us this project. Like he said, we talked about it a few times already, but this is when we were like, okay, we've got an idea. He's got the concept and it's been, it took us almost when we were scheduled to come on, uh, I guess it was this past October um, originally that, you know, that was actually right when we started releasing this stuff, uh, just a, a few weeks prior to that. So okay. um, from concept to finish was basically from us coming onto your show to, to a year later. <laughs> nice. I love it. It takes me back to what you were saying. Uh, we've been open five and a half years now. You sort of get in a rut or get in a sort of a tunnel where, you know, you can only do so much with beer that actually works out. Yeah, and uh, I like to say the difference between the way Emmanuel looked at this beer and the way that I looked at beers. I've always looked at what can I throw in. Uh, he looks at it as what should we throw in. What do you? What's the difference? What's the difference? So, as far as looking at it from a wine perspective, he sees the story, the the region. He sees more of geography, whereas I'm looking for something new, something good, um, which is kind of hard to find now that just about everything's been done. Yeah, I mean, you can throw anything in beer. It doesn't mean it'll work. Right. But. <laughs> right. but it doesn't also mean that it won't sell, which is it sort of <laughs> sticks in my craw a little bit too, man. We've always tried not to be, <laughs> a, what's the word? Like a hazy IPA. <laughs> well, what's the word? Uh, not cliche, but, you know, just. That works, though. A cliche works, I think. Showboating. We, we've yep. never done anything just for show, you know, for Instagram likes or yeah. whatever y'all call those things or <laughs> social media hits yeah you get some yeah, hits man are. that's right yeah you we've, do it for the fans we've never done anything just for it, the attention of doing it right? sure so, no no shock value beers no buffalo chicken beer oh yeah i mean it, it seems like a manual would keep you so far away from that but yeah. i'm I'm intrigued. So are are we talking about like non-traditional ingredients or, I mean, yeah, we have to get into some specifics because I'm, I'm so curious. Like what, what did you do? Well, I'll let Emmanuel go with that. He came to us with this idea. Emmanuel, go ahead. What did you, uh, what sort of ingredients uh, are we talking about? Well, the, uh, let's uh, talk about the first beer, um, uh, a Pilsner. Mm -hmm. So, 
That's it. That looks like a brown port. That is not a pills. Forbidden blade. Yeah. Do I have that? I think I might have it. You have forbidden blade there. You have forbidden blade. It's like the lighter gray color. Sorry, I'm just reaching in my desktop refrigerator, folks. Don't worry about it. It's fine. There, uh, I have dark cape. I have dark cape. I have forbidden blade. There it is, right there. So I am a big fan of Japanese rice beers, and some that also add yuzu, you know, a citrus fruit, to it to give it a little punch. Um, so this is really our interpretation of an Asian rice beer. Um, but here we used Chinese forbidden black rice, which at one time in ancient China, only the emperors of China were allowed to eat, hence why it's called forbidden rice. And that's why the color is black. Um, and then we added wow. Meyer lemons, because Meyer lemons actually originate in China. It was a guy called Frank Meyer that brought them into the United States in the early 1900s. He doesn't sound very Chinese, Frank Meyer. <laughs> no. Um, so that's uh, that's where we that's where we got Forbidden Blade, and then really I said, okay, Carrie, this is this is the idea, this is the thought. Now, can it be done? And if so, <laughs> go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, and really, it then it became his his horse to jump yeah. on. Well, Carrie, why don't you talk a little bit about how you how you wrangle all these ingredients into um, a beer that's palatable for for the current uh, you know beer drinking climate, which seems to be further and further extreme. Well, it was easy at first when it was a test batch. Okay, sure, you yeah. Go down to the Asian market. I could buy three or four pounds of black rice and Meyer lemons from the produce store, farmers market, whatever. Uh, when it came time to do the big batch, that was a little different. Um, having to find bulk black rice, which there's a lot of, we had to find the right one. That wasn't easy. Uh, <laughs> that took our, our food supplier actually helped us with that. Do, oh, geez. What size system yeah. do you have? Uh, seven barrel brew house, 15 barrel fermenters. Okay, yeah, that's a lot of rice, man. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like 30, 40% of the brew. Wow. Batch. It adds up. Wow. Uh, another thing is we can source it from three or four different suppliers that I found, but sourcing it affordable became the issue here. Um, I'm sure Stephen thanks you for that. easy to find, but of course, yeah. you know, if you can't afford them, they're no good. Yeah. And, uh, but this also has Sriracha yeast hops, the variety developed by the Sapporo company, Saz. Uh, and the Fire Lemon, we actually found a company that only does citrus fruits. And so after about two weeks of searching and sending emails, I finally got something back from someone who could just send me bulk Meyer Lemon. Uh, that's been the, the worst part of these beers is just sourcing all these ingredients in bulk. Emmanuel's not even helping you, probably. Well, he's helped with the uh, coffee. He's got the he's got the idea. He's not trying to source anything for you. 
when we get to the dark cape, you'll you'll get a little more idea of where he comes in. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, I like the uh, the addition of sriracha ace because that is a very lemon sort of citrus focused, you know, hop in general. So you definitely are playing up that. And then uh, is, is there was there yuzu in here, Emmanuel, or, or were you just playing oh, off of the yuzu? Oh, we 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 just that was kind of the inspiration okay, yeah. for the idea. Yeah. But no. Um, wanted to keep it tight in terms of geograph geography and history so are you were you guys trying to make this a, a, a be- <laughs> and this is a stupid question but um you, you you're used to that um is uh do you want to make a beer that drinks like a wine sort of or have like wine hints or was it just like a food focused beer because to me I, I can taste there's there's uh, you know like a, a a tannin um aspect that comes through um, and then the the mouthfeel, maybe it's from the black rice. I don't know what it's from. But it, to me, it, it does sort of drink more like a table wine in the fact that it's it has a, a, a light sort of citrusy, fruity character. The mouthfeel sort of like medium. And then there is a tannin uh, aspect to it that does sort of clean it up. And your palate sort of dry it out. And you well, can go back for like, more. Sort of like with um, a lot of wines, you're getting a lot of the flavors out of the grapes, the yeast, you know, the environment. Yeah. Um, with these sort of one of the things Emmanuel approached us with was, you know, can we get the bittering from not just, you know, instead of it being hops, you know, what if we used, you know, like for the, the pillow you're going to try, what if we use the, the, the cocoa, the, you know, the cocoa chocolate from it, Mm -hmm. you know, as a bittering agent, you know, sort of the same thing is, you know, using some of these ingredients and being regionally focused, you know, like a lot of wines are, you know, if you're drinking a wine, the master song can tell you, you know, where that wine was produced all the way down to sometimes, you know, the vineyard and what plot it was from. Which I know? don't believe. I've seen it happen. I don't believe it. I don't I don't believe it. It's like the close it's like the closest to sleight of hand I could get and not accept. You know, like we've all I don't know if everybody's seen it, but the, the documentary, the psalm, I'm sure you've seen it, Emmanuel, maybe. I don't know. It's like in these these kids he was the star no, yeah are yeah. just like here's this going rattling down the list i'm like there's there's i don't i don't believe it i can't i refuse to believe that uh i think i taste okay uh, I, I think i taste things okay i probably taste like shit but um i just i don't know it, it blows my mind um steven what what's your role in in red clay where do you where do you fit in with this so I'm basically the financial guy. Okay, I'm so you're the guy who's keeping. Yeah, so you're making sure that Carrie stays under a certain budget when he's trying to source. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. he has the hardest job out of any of I imagine. Yeah, well, and that's yeah. Well, that's sort of what I'm. I'm thinking. You know, listening to this. Uh, uh, you know, the ingredients rundown and how hard of a time you guys had buying. You know, finding affordable ingredients is, uh, especially now, during uh, the 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 slowdown, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it, um, that's got to be more important than ever. It's to still keep producing quality beers, but meeting a budget with a with a lowered in, with a lowered uh, uh, income. But at the same time, it's kind of the perfect time to experiment. I think. Is I it? mean, we we all slowed down just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're you can do stuff on the smaller batch size. You're not trying to crank out giant volumes of your core beers right now. So I don't know. To me, it seems kind of perfect. And also to differentiate what you're doing too. I really wish I could taste the beer. I'm, I'm, I think you would really like if I ask you guys a process question. Oh, I bet I would. Yeah. I mean, so how do you, how do you use like 
whole grain rice before? Did you, did you mill it? Did you cook it? Like, how did you, how did you get it to work? The first batch, since we are using it as minimal, I cooked it, um, like he was referring to tannins. Um, I cooked the rice and overcooked the rice, trying to open the, the actual grain up so we can get the sugars out of it. Uh, but like he said, that didn't got a lot of tannins. And in the second batch, I cooked it overnight, but it never went above 170. So the rice was still fully cooked in the morning, but we didn't extract the tannins in that second batch. Um, hmm. Yeah, we, we cook, cooked it first, and then it goes into the mash with the grain. Instead of, you know, 60 or 90-minute mash, it is a bit longer, right around 2, 2 hours, 15 minutes before we pass an iodine test. Um, mm-hmm. But we do that because we want it dry. We could, we could pull it at 60 or 90 minutes, but I don't want all those sugars left in the beer. You know, I want them to be fermentable. Yeah. Right. What about the lemons? <laughs> oh, cool. That's in the fermenter. In the fermenter? We, yes. We noticed uh, during test batching that the, let's see, either the yeast or the carbonation uh, would either eat through the lemon flavor or the lemon characters and pretty much just leave you with sort of that pithy taste. Yeah. Or the CO2 was scrubbing it out. I don't know which one it was. But we started adding it after we brightened the beer. Okay. All right. Uh, and what is this, 4%? Am I reading that right on the can or are my eyes that bad? It's a 4%. This is great. It does not right. drink. And this is what I'm saying about the tannin, right? And I... I, I Hopefully it, it came across as as a, as a positive because that's how I meant it. It's it doesn't drink like a like a four percent beer. It's not light by any means. It's not heavy, but it's it it there there's some body there. There's some mouthfeel to it. Um, it's not warm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we do. I mean, we're we're here in the southeast. It's hot, humid, <laughs> almost year round. Last yeah. year it was a hundred degrees up to like November. I think. Gross, dude. But, uh, yeah. You know. What we try to do is, you know, a lot of our beers, like our stouts, our our tent, our beers that tend to be a little heavier in most parts of the country, we dry them out, uh, make them a little more palatable for our our, our clientele. Because um, I mean, we're we're ultimately trying to serve, you know, obviously the people are drinking it, but we're also trying to serve the the retail establishments. You know, if they have one beer that they're going to sell a guy, you know, it's not it doesn't benefit them, it doesn't benefit us. But yeah. if we can, you know give them something that they can sell, you know, that's going to have tons of flavor and they can sell them, you know, three or four of them, you know, their bottom line looks good. So does ours. That's better. <laughs> How are people reacting to, uh, to this line? Really well. So far. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Really well. Um, Emmanuel brings a whole new, uh, set of, of craft beer drinkers to that because his, you know, his big following is in the wine industry. Um, you know, so he's got, he's got, you know, reach all over the U S and, and other parts of the world. And, you know, the people that are, that are trying this, you know, a lot of them, you know, are the, the Heineken drinkers, you know, they're the, yeah. you know, but he, that's sort of when, when he approached us, he wanted the, you know, the people who are drinking more of that premium line of the domestic style beers to, you know, switch over to craft. Um, and so that's sort of another one of the challenges he gave us was, you know, I want to go after, you know, that drinker right there. And so we're like, okay, let's see what we can do. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a quote unquote dark beer for light beer fans. 
If you were drinking it from the can, you wouldn't notice. No, you would never know. Absolutely never know. Yeah. So, okay, so... Yeah, if you were, if you were blindfolded, JP, do you feel like you would know that's a dark beer? I, I see. I, I don't know, because I, I like to think I'm really smart, and so I like to think I would pick it out. But there is no... It, I mean, you're getting the color from the rice. So what do you, there's no, there's none of the, yeah. the telltale signs of like, oh, it's maybe not there's a little roastiness. It's not that like roasty malt flavor. There's not, it's not there. So yeah. I don't think so. No, I think this would stump me. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Stephen and John, how do you, <laughs> how do you guys hook up with Carrie to open up uh, Red again? Clay? How do you guys hook up with Carrie to open Red Clay? Uh, oh, well, John's my brother-in-law. Yeah, John's uh, your yeah, brother-in-law. So- okay. So then how do you, so then how do you find Stephen? One of you guys didn't find the other. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, so I'm for like the central part here. <laughs> I missed that. I missed the I missed the connection. I thought it was all I thought you married. Yeah. Okay, got he, it. He was my best friend from, from middle school. I got married it. Carrie's sister and Emmanuel I met when I was in college. So got it. Okay. Now we got the whole thing. I apologize. I, I for half a second I was doing something on the computer and I just I missed the I missed the thing there. Okay, so Carrie, you were you're home brewing. Uh, you, you have a passion for for uh, you know for for making beer. How do you step from a home brewer into going into opening a brewery? For God's sakes, it would freak me the uh, hell out. A lot of beer brewing, a lot of beer drinking. Yeah, um, did you do? Did you go go to other breweries and get and get practice? Because some people don't. That, some people just do that. that. Oh, well, I guess or my background was most of my life I was a mechanic. I okay. uh, went to the Navy and then the Army as a mechanic also, and then uh, came home to Auburn. Uh, was studying for a major in uh, biosystems engineering. Uh, and then I, before while we were opening the brewery, I went up to Steeble for some classes up there. So, okay, nice. Um, that's basically my background. Um, sitting around homebrewing and drinking a lot of beer, we always played <laughs> the idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, what would we call it? What would we do? Or that'd be sweet, you know, just sitting around the brewery drinking beer. Oh, yeah. Of course, that was pre-kids. Yep, when you could sit around and just drink beer without a purpose. <laughs> like now, there's a purpose to it. It's to either get to sleep or drown drown your problems. But <laughs> it, I mean, it's hard for me to recommend to someone who is thinking about their own brewery. It's hard for me to say yes, go open your own brewery. Maybe you should do that. I mean, you're putting in a hundred hours a week for at least well up until my kid was born. So, <laughs> yeah. Four years, I was I'd be brewing in the day and standing in the tap room till two or three in the morning, um, so you can afford to hire someone. Then then things help out, but yeah, the more people you hire, the less is left over for you. And so we've we kept going, um, but basically we we played with the idea. Um, we did a feasibility study on a lot, a couple different areas, not too far away from us. Uh, in Opelika, with the university next door, I think we're close to 100,000 people, total population between Auburn, Opelika, and the students. And we didn't have anything close to a brewery. Nice. Um, the only one there was was the Auburn Brew Pub, and they shut down probably around 2,000. Yeah, we were the only one within two and a half hours in any direction. So, mm-hmm. um, to add to that, we also did uh, spend about a year of what we like to call Alco tourism. Okay, I love so, it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we, we visited every brewery we can in the, here in the country, and Carrie's dad was out in Germany, and so he he visited a bunch of breweries there, brought back a bunch for us to try, and um, so 
you know, we after that we were like, let's pull the trigger, let's make it happen. Okay, excellent. How long did it take for you guys to get up and running? Between the time we LLC to the time we opened the door, it was about two years. Two, uh, so two, we did this two years. Two years. Nice. Uh, that seems pretty fast, honestly. Well, not. It seemed. It didn't seem fast for us. But, <laughs> yeah, sure. We spent about a good what three, four months waiting on the T. We were ready. The T. We were just waiting on the TTB towards the end there. Yeah. Yeah. We we did most of the construction ourselves. We were in there cutting concrete, uh, just about sun up to sundown for for the six months before we opened the brewery. We we got a hundred year old cotton warehouse in downtown Oklahoma. Um, was four walls, metal roof, brick and concrete. Uh, we built all the walls. We cut the concrete. Plumbers electricians came in, did their thing, and we poured the concrete, um, built the walls, finished those up. We built our tables, a bar, wood from an old uh, textile mill that's actually caught on fire not too long ago. Um, oh, no. <laughs> some of that old growth pine. Uh, I wasn't about to build 80 chairs. No, uh, man. That just wasn't <laughs> we bought our chairs. Yeah. Uh, but everything, pretty much everything but the chairs, we built. The cooler, my uh, keg cleaner, keg washer and sanitizer. Damn. Our mill, it's all it's a, our hopper, that's all homemade. Wow. Our our mash ton is a six hundred gallon dairy tank. So Perfect. it works works really well until it's time to empty it. We have to jump in and shovel it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and our brew kettle's a, an old mixing tank that got damaged by a forklift. Okay. Uh, so we bought it cheap and repaired it. And, Put uh, four 10 kilowatt electric electric elements in there for a 40 kilowatt brew kettle. Uh, Sounds good. Other to than me. that, I mean, the rest is history. A lot of hard work and sweat, and pretty much not seeing anyone you care about in the first two or three years. Yeah, unless they come in to drink. <laughs> yeah, we actually got the idea of the electric brew kettle. Uh, you guys had McLeod L down in Van Nuys on. Yeah, yeah. And we listened to that episode, and he. He said that well, it turned out while we were doing our alco tourism, we went out there, visited him. He's like he he told us what he loved about it, what he hated about it, and so we sort of made the version he wished he would have started with. And um, so that's sort of the whole idea of even having an electric brew kettle. Wow, electricity is fairly cheap in Opelika compared to gas. So God, that must be nice. Well, and you must yeah. you must not hate it too much if you're five and a half years in and you're still using this. No, it's it's pretty nice to go from a, a mash temp to a boil in 45 minutes, and you haven't put a lot of exhaust or heat or anything like that to the brewery yet. Wow. But, but like you were saying, electric electricity in, in Alabama in general, Alabama and Georgia, anywhere in the TVA, is re- very reasonably inexpensive. And it's not only while we're here and we're all electric, there's a lot of plants that have moved in for that cheap power. Um, I would yeah, love it's that. nice I think 100% efficiency. You know, there's no heat going around the kettle. It, it's all put right into it. And uh, McLeod said they undersized. They told me how long it took them to get from mash to a boil. And I pretty much doubled the amount of energy that they built into their system. Wow. Once we get to a boil, we actually have to turn two of the elements off. And not because hmm. it'll boil over, but because we'll get an uplift, like a, a steam bubble will actually kind of lift up the liquid level and pour over and then kind of pop. Um, of course, there's there's four hundred dollars on the floor, so 
<laughs> yeah. Stephen Stephen cries every time. <laughs> it's a waste of money. Um, let's let's uh, drink another one of your beers, uh, and I say let's. Um, and then we're going to take a quick break, and then I want to jump back into another one of uh, Emmanuel's uh, ideas, and we'll just sort of toggle around until uh, until I pass out. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, so I'm just going to go down the you know standard beer drinking order. I would imagine would be the um, Appalachiosaurus Amber Lager. Oh, yeah, Amber Lager. Did I say mm-hmm. that right? Because uh, you know I am going blind. Appalachiosaurus. Appalachiosaurus. Uh, cousin to the T-Rex found actually here in Alabama, just on the other side of the state in Demopolis. Oh, it's a real thing. I oh, just, yeah, it's a real thing. All right. <laughs> they just found <laughs> it. I just assumed, that's you know. Sweet. That, I thought it was made up. Yeah, me too. I I'm it like, was oh. just a clever use of Appalachia. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I thought too. Like, discovered dinosaur. Oh, just loves NASCAR, I guess. I don't know. It's a fairly, fairly new dinosaur. We're, we try to keep names that keep us in Alabama, or at least close to it. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Kind of rolled out. Eight thousand yeah, awesome. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, tell me a little about this amber lager, if you wouldn't mind, please. Well, it actually started as our Oktoberfest, uh, but then something weird in the world happened. Where if you call something an Oktoberfest, once October's gone, whatever you have left is going to go down the drain because oh. it's not going to sell. Okay. So we just came out with our amber lager. We uh, only difference between this and our Oktoberfest is a little bit of chocolate malt, um, just to darken it up a bit, bring the mouthfeel up. But it's basically our Marksman, and it's gone into a can as our amber lager. I nice mean, German it's... water profile, sort of malt beer water profile, um, German ale or German lager yeast, saws, and tenning hops. And Wireman malts. I mean, you could you could probably get away with calling this um, um, an alt beer. Uh, definitely in Munich. I mean, it's it is it's it's like three beers in one. I really like it. That's delicious. Yeah, one of the things like we were mentioning earlier is sort of we try to stick to traditional um, a lot with our, with our beers, and we we you know we'll yeah. go and do some random, you know, one-off beers and, you know, try to find, you know, the milkshake IPAs, which I don't even think they're doing those anymore. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, they're um, not. Just pretend you know, that it doesn't Unfortunately, exist. they are. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the, 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 you know, the little random beers that, yeah. that you know, the popular, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with some random stuff too, but um, sort of one of the things we pride ourselves on is, is sticking to sort of the tradition uh, of, of beer. And what, you know, with, with what he was saying, like, our water pro we go all the way down to the water profile. So we have a water or reverse osmosis and carbon filtration that we run through all of our water through. And which is not that uncommon, you know, in the brewing industry. Uh, But what we decide to do is every beer has its own water profile. We don't have a standard water profile. We go by, Um, we look up the waterworks websites from all the different places that these beers are originally produced. And that's where we, you know, that's that's the, the water profile we give them. Were you guys uh, doing this when you were home brewing, or you know, I feel like this is sort of a, like a, maybe Carrie's mechanic mind kind of you know digging into the the bones of the beer. Actually, we decided to do this when we were in planning, we so yeah. getting the, the design for the brewery down, mm-hmm. um, talking to the local water board. Um, when I was looking at the Opelika water profile. I looked at about three different years and noticed how different it was. So I called them up and, and basically 
every municipality is required to do that once a year and yada 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 but opelika has multiple reservoirs mm -hmm. and the only difference between the water profile now and the water profile in five minutes is whether or not someone turns a valve. <laughs> okay. So they can pull more water from here, pull more water from there. Uh, they're also service surface reservoirs. So if it rains, the iron jump that high for you know a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just decided the best thing to do instead of trying to trying to you know come up with a sample, get there at I don't, I don't know four a.m. and take a bunch of samples and figure out the mineral content of our water and then calculate our investments. We should just get an RO unit, which makes all our water 100% just pure water. Yeah. And so that's where we went from there. Well, it's working. I mean, this is a, that's a very good beer. Teresa, you'd be impressed with this one too, man. The lagering is, is great. How long did this lager for? It's an eight week, uh, three to four weeks to ferment and then rest. Yeah. And then we lager it for four weeks. Well, I applaud you. Um, I know it's painful to have a tank just sitting there, but uh, the beer, it, it, it's its worth it, man. It's worth it. That's very smooth and uh, easy drinking beer. And at, at, again, this is at, at 5%. It doesn't drink like a 5%. I would I would taste this and I would go, well, this is six, six and a half easily. Because well, it's so, there's so it's, there's so much body and there's so much flavor to it, um, the chocolate malt comes through just a little bit, but those sort of dark, you know, you get those Maillard reactions and you get those those deeper flavors. Um, what's your grain bill? What do you what do you have in here? Oh, that one's going to be mostly Vienna. That's mostly a Vienna lager on that. Wow. And and thank you. I mean it. It is hard to to leave a tank full, but we yeah. For that amount of time but we we started out as a almost completely traditional brewery um we do old world traditional beers we didn't start out making a i don't know whatever you can come up with to throw in an ipa ipa um we started out making traditional beers the old way and that includes the water profile uh these hops which are sometimes hard to find like saws last year dried up for the end of the season Jeez. we're not big enough to contract something like saws yet. Saws dried up. You think that's the, like the signal oh, for the? Oh, you guys need saws. I've got your saws. Okay, there you go. You think that's? <laughs> well, it's I'm dead I mean, serious. <laughs> it's almost the same. Contact a little better bit. Better now, but yeah. 20, 2019, the end of twenty nineteen, it got hard to find the check saws. It's almost and, the sign uh, of the really? end, the end times where oh, saws is hard to find. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's so just prevalent wherever but you know again i don't i don't work in the in the bulk side of things so Everything i don't from know our water profile to the hops to the grain bill we use you know bsg so i can get malts from german maltsters english maltsters uh, yeah. scottish maltsters even south american maltsters wow uh, but we we stay true to tradition on the the malt the hops the yeast and the water so we use you know White Labs, Kolsch yeast for our Kolsch and our um, Edinburgh L yeast for our Scotch Ale. And we, we pay the extra money for those White Lab Pure Pitches. And how is how's the market for for these you know beers that uh, based on this I imagine they're they're closer to style than than some of the other beers that I get to try. Um, do you find a, a lot of people in your area are 
style focused? Do they do they understand the styles, or do they not care, or or do they care? And that's why they seek you out. The big difference I see with our tap room people um, when John and I, you know, we're alcohol tourists. Stephen, we we go to a brewery and they'd have their lineup, you know, three five years. Yeah. Uh, we go to another brewery, they'd have their lineup three five years. We can go back in a couple of days. And that lineup would be completely different. Um, when our Scotch Ale went off tap, we lost customers. Wow. So I don't know what it is about our little, our little world, but people aren't always looking for something different. They want what they had last time that they liked. See, I agree with you. There, there's definitely a section of the, yeah. of the population, but it, I think the problem is, at least out here, that section of the population that wants that doesn't have an, as much money as the other people do. Who want, who want constant change? Who go? Oh, you don't have anything recent on tap. I gotta leave. And then now the people go. Oh well, now we have to just keep rotating. We have to have a hundred IPAs that are different every for day. Us, right. No, for us it's the other way. For us, if the brown goes off tap, I can I can tell you, you know, a hundred regulars that aren't going to be coming in until it's back. I I think I love that. That's I think so I crazy. Really do a, like that a brown a ale. Yeah, yeah, brown I ale. I can't sell a brown ale to save my life. Teresa, when was <laughs> when was the last time you heard of someone brewing a Scotch ale? Out yeah, here, I, I, we've never done a Scotch ale. There is a brewery locally. They they do a wee heavy. That's about the closest. And then um, another guy does it around uh, St. Patrick's Day. I'll do a Scotch yeah, ale, but I love a Scotch ale. But so nobody cool. makes it. I yeah. love it. You know what's funny is we um. When we first uh, started, we didn't even brew an IPA. I mean, it was, I think, maybe a year before we actually put our first IPA on. And it was sort of strategic for us because IPAs were super big. I mean, they still are. But, like, right then, I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody was wanting something different. Like, not even the next time they came into a place. Like, they wanted a different IP the next beer that they had. Right. And, you know, so we didn't want to be that one where, you know, we were on and then we were off because the newest one came out. So, because we did that, um, it opened us up to be that brewery that had something different. And so yeah. our, we never expected it, but our Hefeweizen ended up being our flagship beer. Um, we were the only ones in the Southeast brewing a Hefe at the time. I can you know, see that, people though, I guess. loved it, and yeah. we that pretty much guaranteed us a tap anywhere that we sold it because wow. nobody else had a Hefe, and everybody else had IPAs. So for us, it, after, you know, about it, like, six months to a year, we finally decided to put an IPA on. And of course people loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, and you know, and unfortunately came out. Yeah. Well, right. And you know, you do, you do need to have those beers because those pay the bills. Right. You know, and that's, and that's where we're, that's where we're at. But uh, for us purists out there, uh, you can't beat a good Scotch ale. Well, and I think there's so much room for breweries that do things a little bit differently. You know, like there's, there's so many breweries that do stouts and sours and, you know, uh, IPAs. And, you know, here we're, you know, we're pretty well known in our area for doing German styles and lagers and ales. And I mean, we're that there's plenty of room for that because not everybody's doing it. And I, I imagine you guys kind of find the same thing. And those, I mean, your beers are so drinkable too. I mean, these low ABV and like classic styles, nice dry finish. Yeah, it's good. I'm actually really mad at JP again because he <laughs> doesn't 
he didn't get me any beer. <laughs> well, hey, man, come on, come on down. Uh, yeah, people in the chat are commenting they like your IPA. So uh, you know, what's good is starting uh, this next year, you'll start seeing our beers. Well, the Mueller line to start off with uh, in California. So oh, really, you have access to some. Oh, nice, man. That's good. That's big. Congrats. Very cool. If you're from Alabama, there's not a lot of breweries sending beer west. No. Mostly coming east. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I look. I love it, man. Any anytime we can get uh, out of region beers, uh, I'm you know I'm on board. All right, let's take a quick break, everybody. We'll be uh, right back with the fellows from Red Clay, um, all the way from Alabama via the internet. Who would have thought, right? It's the session. We'll be right back. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. All right, everybody, thanks for hanging out. It's the session. We're back with the fellows from Red Clay. Brewing, and I just cracked open uh, another one of the Mura um, beers, the West Indies. And Emmanuel, hopefully, I keep saying, I keep asking you how to say that, and hopefully, I did it right. But uh, yes, you don't have to Mura. worry about it if you know what the Mura. So you right. see that image of a bull on the can? I do. Yeah. Uh, the name is uh, derived from Don Eduardo Mura, the breeder of the most famous fighting bulls in Spain. Oh, I grew up in Spain of a Spanish mother, and hence. Uh, my grandfather was a huge aficionado. For the Spanish, it's a legendary name. Okay. And uh, early on, I came to terms with the fact that my last name, Kamiji, which is Greek Cypriot, was a lousy name for a winery or a brewery. Uh, <laughs> so drank a lot, got over it, and came up with this name, Mura. Okay. Well, I love it. Uh, so you, your your last name is Greek. Me too, man. Cheers. Yasu to you, my friend. Yasu. Yeah. I love it. Sorry, I'm having a moment. Uh, okay. I'm having a moment. All right. Uh, so tell me about the West Indies beer. West Indies. So um, this was uh, our, my version of an IPA. So India Pale Ale, but Red Clay already made a very good one. And the world, honestly speaking, does not need another IPA. See? Uh, now that I know that you're part Greek, everything you say is 100% correct. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, how are we going to do this so that it's it's different? So I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to take for uh, example when Mr. Columbus thought India was the other way. <laughs> um, and so this but one of my issues with a lot of IPAs, too hoppy, too bitter, um, so really here, the bittering component comes not so much from the hops, but also from cocoa, dark chocolate from the Dominican Republic. And then we age it in tequila barrels to give it a little bit more spice, uh, because Mexico at one time was part of the West Indies and hence the name is, this is our West Indies pale ale. So that's, uh. That's how we put this together, and those guys uh, found the barrels and found dark chocolate. We just brewed it today, actually. Another batch. Oh, nice, nice, uh, Teresa. This is another beer that I think you would absolutely eat up. It's so complex. I, well, I've I've seen some coffee IPAs lately, and. 
I'm really intrigued. I've had I've had a barrel aged um, IPA and tequila barrels, and I've had a coffee IPA. So I'm trying to put those two ideas together. Yeah, I, did, it sounds awesome. We did the Alabama Snakes, the coffee IPA, five years ago, and now all of a sudden, oh really? I see coffee IPAs everywhere. <laughs> Oh That's my what God. happens, man. Yeah, yeah, you guys were were trendsetters. You were just you were so far on this side. Like I didn't get the message. Right. <laughs> uh, like like Emmanuel said, the, this beer's West Indies Pale Ale, uh, regional um, story goes along with it. Chocolate from the DR, cocoa nibs added directly to the boil, unsweetened, just raw chocolate. Okay. Uh, tequila barrels were actually more difficult to find than I thought, and um, even the big barrel houses only get them in intermittently because I, I guess they just use them over and over. Hmm. It's not like bourbon where they can only use them once. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. English pale ale, Marisotter base malt um, with crystal mm-hmm. and pearl hops. Okay. English pale. Interesting. Cause it, it is definitely maltier. Like it, drinking it almost takes me back to like late nineties, west coast ipa not as bitter very smooth but it's that mouthfeel it's that thing and which makes sense you're talking english you know like an english pale ale you know a lot more malt some crystal in there um that definitely makes sense but it's also with with the way that you're handling the bittering and and you know with the chocolate and the tequila barrels it, it doesn't i mean maybe if you search for it you can sort of get like yeah there's like a cocoa thing like a darker you know whatever but it just it tastes like a lower hopped higher ABV pale ale from the nineties. It's great. Well, thank you. It's, I mean, I think, I mean, I think you did it. I think that you did exactly what you're going for. I don't know. I mean, you tell me, I'm not putting words in your mouth. How do you think? I get, I get the chocolate mostly on the nose as sort of as you're pulling the beer away. Yeah. Um, And then the tequila, I don't so much taste tequila as I do the barrel, but I kind of expect that with, right. All spirits are almost the same. What you taste in spirits is mostly the barrel. Um, almost hmm. all spirits are like whiskey's moonshine before the barrel. Yeah. Uh, silver rum just almost tastes like vodka. You know, it's not a big difference. Right. Uh, but here I get the, the barrel from the tequila and then I, well, first I get the chocolate and then the barrel from the tequila. Uh, but on top of a traditional English pale ale, this is a, a three-week ale, and you know most ales can be out of the fermenter in two weeks. Day fifteen, it's in the can. Um, this one takes about three, three and a half weeks, and that's because we use the traditional malts, uh, traditional yeast here. We're using the English ale yeast from White Lab. Yeah, it is interesting, man. You know, unless you're unless you're going like a, like a rum agricole where you're doing like the sugar, like the fresh pressed juice, that you can get a differentiation on. But those don't really see the barrel, so it's just sort of like you know, it's it it's it doesn't really fit the the you know the the, the format or whatever. Um, but yes, you're right. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Sticking with the 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 distillate format, it's it's all just um, more or less you know, flavor less, but, uh, yeah, the barrel is, is definitely the, the key there. That's, um, well, I guess like with tequila, right? You got the agave, so it's a different thing, but you're still distilling it down. That's, um, that's good. Yeah. This is the one beer that I like. And no, 
it was, you know, pretty much the second try, the second batch, we, you know, it, it was pretty much signed off saying this is this this is what we want, you know. Um the Forbidden Blade, the first one you tried, yeah. it's you know, it, it's taken a while. You know, it, it, there's a lot of, you know, little nuances in there that that, you know, a little slight change can make a huge difference. This one, you know, we we um with the university being right next to us, um, we have a brewing science program. And so we like our head brewer, our assistant brewer and all all graduated from there. And so this was actually sort of a recipe that I believe our assistant brewer had come up with because we've had, you know, we, you know, we've got a bunch of different types of pale ale and, and IPA recipes that we've had. And we've sort of just took one that he had recently done that we thought would, because it, it wasn't an, this overwhelming IPA, we felt like it could, it could hold up to the, the cocoa nibs and the, and the um the uh tequila barrels where you know any of the other ones that we've had just the the hot profile was was way too strong and the malt profile would would have covered some of it up and so we're like let's start here and that was pretty much the starting spot for us was taking this this recipe that our assistant brewer came up with and 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 sort of tweaking it a little bit and making it you know this recipe now so yeah it's it's great uh, Emmanuel, how do you, you know, going back to your, to your psalm roots, how does a, a, a master sommelier approach beer? I know that we, we sort of have similar vocabulary when it comes to tasting um, the two products, but beer and wine are so vastly different. Um, how do you apply your knowledge to, to the beer world and not, um, you know, and, and still make it, I don't say relevant, but, uh, you know, how to make it uh, give a different meaning? Well, I, I mean, for me and the beers that uh, when, when I talked to Carrie and John about the beers, I wanted them to be balanced and bright beers that you could really also have with with foods. Um, in fact, we've done a couple of really fun events where I have uh, uh, dinners with different courses and at each course, we have one of the beers and one of the mural wines that I make in California. And so gives people a chance to try two completely different things with the same food and see how, how much change there is um, in the taste of that food and, and that beer or that wine with each. Um, so for me, above all, it had to be something not overpowering something that was bright and lively. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did not want to go over the top into the extreme high ABVs. And, and you'll see that now even more with, with the stout that you're going to taste um, that we really try to be very careful about reining that in. All right. <clears throat> I look forward to it. Um, let's go. So you have, so Mira is your, is your winery. Yes. Okay. And and you said in California, whereabouts? So this is Mira. Wow. Nice bottle, Uh, man. Um, so mostly, so I have two projects so that I don't get, so that I don't get bored. Right. I also, I also have this project in Spain. Okay. Um, What's it called? I couldn't, uh, I can't uh, see it. Uh, no, the project in Spain is Clos Pizarra. Okay. We're in a 
a small region called Priorat, about 80 miles southwest of Barcelona. Priorat has become kind of Spain's Napa Valley. The most expensive and sought after wines in Spain come from this tiny region now. Wow. Um, and there, myself and some buddies have about uh, 60 acres of vineyards that in our own facility uh, that I oversee. In California, very different. What uh, do is buy grapes from some of the best known vineyards, Pinot, more than anything, we do Pinot Noir. So we do a, uh, a Pinot from the Anderson Valley. We do one from the Russian River Valley and then one from the Santa Lucia Highlands, uh, actually two from the Santa Lucia Highlands in Monterey. Okay. Um, wow. So I love a good Pinot too, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll have to check it out for sure. I sort of, I get like, uh, like, uh, you know, focused with, uh, with, <laughs> with wine. It's hard for me to branch out from my, I have like two standards that I go to, but I'm, I'm definitely want to want to look at that. Cause, uh, you know, check your, your, your winery out, man. Cause, uh, these these beers are doing great, and uh, you know from the regions you're naming, and then you're you're hitting my style, the Pinot I really like. So uh, I'm 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 looking forward to that. Um, what should I drink next, boys? I probably have time for two. Well, I don't know. We have three beers here, so why not? But let's uh, if we can't get to one, which one should we well, leave behind? Definitely want to get to the the last mirror beer. But if we yes. were to yes. pick, I think maybe the Trace Barbus. Let's do that. Or the Red Clay. Okay. I think that's a good one. Let's do that. All three of us are donning our beards. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Stevens is epic as usual. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not picking on you, Steven. I just, I'm just trying to like say your name every once in a while. That's all. Appreciate <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> it's funny. At the break, we were just chatting, chatting about ciders. You guys do a cider in the tap room. We do. We do. We do an English, a uh, few English style ciders and All right, let's um, really good dry, dry cider. Um, our probably our most popular, we've had our, our just our standard original cider for years and we decided to branch out a little bit, you know, yeah. utilize our wine license that we had. And um, Carrie and I had gone up to Michigan a few times and realized how much we like the cherries and things like that up there. And so we decided to do a cherry cider and uh, that one became, uh, what was it, our, one of the cider competitions, national cider competitions, I think out of New yeah, York. We, got, uh, we uh, took it to the Alabama commercial wine competition where it won uh, best in the cider category, but it also won best overall. Oh, wow. And Congrats. Wow. Me that, that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we stayed up to a national cider competition in New York where it took third place overall. So... On the national stage, I'll take third place all day, every day. I was very, <laughs> yeah, very happy sure. about that. Yeah, maybe you're yeah. regional. You're like, ah, oh, we could have done better. But national, you're like, yeah, fuck it. I love it. Well, let's go. <laughs> when you're up against like 6,000 sires, it's all right. I'll take three. I'll take yeah. a bronze any day of the week for that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless uh, unless there's only two entries, then, you know, it's <laughs> right. fine. And there's well, we, sort of a, a little... A little bit of push and shove there with, uh, you know, I love local. I'm local anytime we can be as much as possible. Uh, peaches come from Georgia. Avocados come from California. Um, I, I'm sorry to the rest of the country, but cherries come from Michigan. <laughs> is that a thing? Is there, is there like, are there like regional food gangs? 
Yeah, they do really. They I mean, they might, they might have looking for me, but... Apples uh, and cherries is what they big for out there. Okay, because... cherries from Michigan are just... There's nothing like them. See, the beauty of California is we have, I mean, we do we do a lot of stuff, but it's like with like a small window of it. We're like, yeah, avocados for sure, but for like an hour. And then like right. cherries, we do cherries, especially out here where I live, but for like four hours. And then and then that's and then we do like almonds and almonds. like almonds. cows, and that's about it. Yeah, almonds. <laughs> yeah. Pistachios. That's true. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff, man. So Sacramento's claim to fame is they have all the almond almond processing, and it's literally in Sacramento. It's like you wouldn't believe how urban this place is. (laughs) Pretty cool. Yeah, it is wild, man. California is so spread out and then focused at the same time, where it's like you just you drive Mm -hmm. for hours, and here's this big sprawling metropolis that takes you an hour to get across, and then you're just you know anyway. Um, Okay, Trace Barbras. Mexican style uh, lager. Tell me about this beer, Kelly. This was our first beer, so I always try to retain the title, at least the position of head brewer. But that basically just gives me like the veto power, right? If yeah. I say it goes down the drain, I just I maintain the right to dump something down the drain. Right. Everything else now, the bigger we get, the more time I spend behind the desk, all three of us, we spend in a freaking chair at a computer all day, every day as we get bigger. Yep. Um, but this was the first Craig only, who's our brewer now. Um, Craig only beer. Um, he came up with the recipe. He picked the hops. He picked the process. And we made this beer for our Cinco de Mayo party. And it became a big hit. And people started wanting more of it. So we made a second batch. And then it took over in our tap room as the number one selling beer. It surpassed the Kolsch and the halftime combined. Wow. I am personally under the uh, the train of thought, the school of thought, like the best Mexican lager in the world. It, and Trace Barbas is awesome. It's amazing. I drink it a lot. But the absolute number one best Mexican lager in the world is okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> Like no matter how great it is, it's just okay. Okay, uh, I feel no, this, like this I feel like your your people are putting you on a list. Because <laughs> I mean I don't know I'm, I'm I I want to disagree with you, but That's then that would alone. be that would be too on brand for me. So I'll let you finish. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually not just not a fan of Mexican lagers, but when Craig came out with this, and uh, there's no denying math that. <laughs> This beer started bringing in more revenue than anything else we have, even our two top beers combined. So we wow. started making it. The poster we made for the Scene of the Mile party, the girl who does our artwork, Miranda, she wrapped that around the can for us. Um, I drink this beer a lot because sometimes I just like something lighter. Um, it's cool artwork. I love it. it. It stands out on a shelf like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. No, they're very bright colors. I think that's one reason people like it so much. Yeah. That's the first beer we've had where I can't make enough of. I'm literally out of it all the time. Wow. When I plan a batch, I already know who's got all of it and where it's going. And that's a good problem, dude. Yeah, but I mean, it's still a problem. It's still a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Look, man. 
You take the wind. sitting around that you need to get rid of. Just email me. I'm looking <laughs> right now. Okay. All right. There you go. So, I love yeah, it. I mean, so as a brewer who makes, I I put half my production into hazy IPA. I would kill to have that be a Mexican lager, just for the record. Well, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. John's lager is way better. <laughs> <laughs> like I was saying about our halftime, it, it became our flagship. And I mean, who wants a heavy bike going to be their flagship? Right? You got your brewery, you're cool, you want to be well known, and that became our flagship. It you know, that happened. is that was the one that made the money. And that you is can super. The way you want to, but at the end of the day, math is what matters. That is super interesting point, man. It's like you know, you guys get into the industry because you're home brewers and as a, as a, a former almost current home brewer myself you you it's it's hard like when i would go into the homebrew shop i have my recipe and then i see all this grain and i go oh shit well i could do this i'm going to change this i'm going and it, you know and it just it happens every time so you're by nature i think we want to do this. We want to 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 see what we can do and how to work with different ingredients and stuff and then to have your half be the most popular, like really, might as well just give you water. Like it's you know, it's it's there's not, not that there's not not that there's not skill in making a good half because clearly your your half is good because people are buying it, but it's not as sexy. Yeah, and here's the thing: we do make a good heffy. I mean, just down the road, we've got a a German company, and they bring in about three hundred Germans like once a year and they come to our brewery they love our heffy they love our really they think it reminds them of oh yeah Damn. they love it and right. you know it's just sort of it's sort of funny because i mean we pride ourselves but on the other hand like the beers that carrie and i thought when we were for when we first were like okay what beers are we gonna open up with we we're like okay our saison we want to be our flagship beer <laughs> well, it didn't matter what we wanted <laughs> It didn't matter what we wanted. I'm sorry to laugh at you, but yeah, that's a home brewer. Man. Yeah, I don't mean to laugh <laughs> either. And, and, and no, I mean, we laugh at ourselves about it. Because yeah. we're like, what were we thinking? But, you know, I mean, like yeah. even even right now, I mean, we have a, a really good lambic called Fortuity. And it's sort of a marriage of our winery and cidery and our brewery. Because we have our Merlot that we put in there. We have our cider and we have a really good lambic. And, you know, it's one of our favorite beers. And, you know, when people try it, oh, man, they love it. They, they can't get enough of it. But just to try to get people to drink a Lambic. The second we, we labeled it as sour, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as people just started going nuts over sours, okay, this is going to be a sour from now on. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden it started selling, you know, yep. and it's just like from, from just naming it what we actually know the name of it is to just saying, okay, we're going to go with, a, with society and say this is just a sour. Let's scratch out Lambic. And it became like one of our bigger selling beers. Yeah, it's it's so. <laughs> funny what's in a name, man. Like there was a time, and I think it still holds true. Uh, maybe it's regional. I don't know. Um, but people don't buy beers based on if the color is in the name, like a brown ale or a red ale. Those wouldn't sell. Teresa, I think we've talked about this on the show a few times. Like it's it's harder to sell people on a brown ale. You're like really brown? I don't want that. I want a sexy name. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, but yeah, for I feel you guys, like, it's I feel like the right? brown ales are really tough. And then also, um, yeah, like weird names like Lambic like or Bitter. I, I bitter. 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 Yeah. It's probably the worst name of any possible name because people, well, I hate Bitter. Yeah, I don't want to think Bitter. it's not that really gross. that bitter. Yeah. Well, and we got an ESB. Mm-hmm. 
I yeah, always, ESB, as long as it's just initials and, you know, or an acronym, they don't Southern. know. <laughs> <laughs> we call it Better Southern. We're like, yeah, we can't do that. No, I want to try. Well, we, so we can't sell English beers. Um, we've done, we've done, we had some great English beers. One was really more of a, a bitter. I named it a bitter for a little while. And then I totally renamed it a really fun name and called it a pub ale. But still, that beer took forever to sell. We've just never done well with English beers. Except with that, like, one guy who comes in and is like, I, why don't you ever do this beer would, again? Like, me, this is my man. favorite beer. Yeah. I think, well, the, I think the death of the ESB came around at the same time as those bitter beer face commercials. Yeah. <laughs> they showed everybody how sell. much they should hate them. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Yeah. And every time these things come up, I'm always reminded of Dave, uh, bless his soul, at Flat Tail, who had his uh, dry hop saison, little green, and it wouldn't sell. It was it's it's to this day probably the best saison I've had. It's amazing beer, uh, and it's lower ABV, and it's in a can, and it's great. And then one mm-hmm. of his one of his draft clients renamed it to a session IPA, and it flew off the shelf. So then oh he was like, oh, well, I'm, this is what it's called now. This is a session dry hopped IPA. And it's whatever. Well, when we first opened, Gone. we had our four main beers that we were going to make and sell. Yeah. And our Saison was one of them. Um, but it just so happened that in the craft beer world, right around early 2015, yeah. every brewery on the planet made a Saison. Mm-hmm. And some of them went too far on the farmhouse part, right? Yeah. Yep. They went into like the funky cheese, the wet feet, where most saisons were more pleasant. You know, we're talking about stale cardboard attic crawl space. Yeah. Um but I love the way he describes things. Crawl so space many. is a good word. I'm gonna I'm, I'm trying to remember that one. Crawl <laughs> space is good. I like it. That's, that's a great descriptor. Crawl space. Yeah. Um if you've ever had some like super French cider, you, you know what I'm talking about. That same smells you get with cheese started coming out with saisons, and then people see the word saison and they just keep walking. They keep walking, man. So yep. One of our flagships, our first main lineup beers was a saison, and I think that period just kind of ran it into the ground. Um, so we just started calling it Hay Shed, and sales went back up. We just took saison out of the name. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird world, right? So, I, it's it's super funny. I mean, it just it goes to show like people need education. Like there is there is a gap. You or, know, when your customer comes in off the street, they're just starting to understand craft beer. Like they have a limited vocabulary, and it's it's up to us to kind of help them. You know, but you have to sometimes like not yeah i mean it's a gentle introduction like you can't just beat somebody over the head with it or they won't they yeah. won't enjoy it well i think there's a, there's a a larger portion of the population than we think in craft beer that don't want the education they just want to either get a oh, quick dose of hops or a quick dose of abv i have a friend russ who thinks he likes uh uh ipas he thinks he loves them but he just likes getting drunk real fast 
<laughs> and I keep trying to tell him that. I'm like, you don't really like this beer because you're drinking Trulies now. And it's like, you're not really an IPA guy. You just want to dr- slam a six and a half beer. And it's like, I don't know. It's it's sort of like, like for me in in in, in wine, like I don't know anything about wine, but I'm tr- I'm sort of trying, but not really. And I think a lot of people in craft beer are sort of like me when in the wine biz, where it's like, okay, I know a couple uh. wineries, I know a couple terms. But it doesn't. They don't mean anything to me. I'm not. I'm not actually looking up in, in a book, going, "Oh, okay. Well, cor-, I'm like. I'm not trying to like identify corked wine, right? Or, uh, you know, has this, uh, you know, is this over oaked or you know, whatever, right? Um, it, it's it's just it's the same. I don't know. I, th- I think there's a, a a larger portion than we think of people who who are just ignorant on purpose because they don't they don't really care. They just enjoy drinking a beer. I don't know. I don't know why I decided to make that point. Um, let me take a quick break, and we're going to come back. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to drink this last uh, Mura, the uh, Dark Cape, which sounds amazing, and uh, chat a little bit more with uh, the fellows from uh, Red Clay Brewing. It's the session. Hang on. We'll be right back. Tuned into this session because life's too short to listen to crappy radio. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Uh, we're wrapping up here with the Red Clay Boys uh, out in Alabama, and uh, I'm opening the the last Mueller beer. Uh, Emmanuel, tell me about the Dark Cape, please. So I live in Puerto Rico, and when I think of the Caribbean, I think of two things above all. I think of coffee and I think of rum. Yeah, hell yeah. So um, this is a stout uh, made with coffee from one of the top estates in Puerto Rico in the central part of the island uh, from a gentleman called Don Dionisio who owns it. And then aged in rum barrels. Uh, And it's an English style stout because it was the English that really propagated the the beer trade in the Caribbean. Uh, So the idea is to try to make a stout that had coffee, but not coffee that is a beer, um, if that makes any sense. Beer first, always, always. Exactly. And, And also a stout for all those people who think, they don't like stouts or they've tried stouts and it's too much, too much of everything. Well, here we wanted to do something that, again, was more balanced, was more approachable and something that somebody say, well, I can drink that. Um, and too often I come with too many stouts that interesting smell, interesting taste. And after about a few sips, I say, okay, now give me something I can drink. It's too much. It's too cloying or it's too sticky or it's, or it's the mouth feels weird or yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. This is, uh, there's a few different ways I can attack this because it's such a complex beer. Um, I sort of just want to sit with it for a little bit longer, honestly. So, uh, (laughs) that's what I tell myself when I'm getting, you know, this is your program. Uh, Enjoy it. Five minutes of dead air. I haven't enjoyed this program since 2005. What are you talking Silence. about? Yeah. 
Should we um, put on some stout music while we're waiting? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, yeah. When I'm sitting there drinking a little too much, I just tell myself, you know, I just want to marinate with this. I just want to evaluate it. I'm just marinating, like E40 said, marinating on the corner with the chip in my phone. <laughs> um, so, Kelly, okay, so how do you take uh, Emmanuel's idea and turn it into this beer? With a lot of practice. Nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> getting the rum into it was actually the hard part. It's coffee. Coffee's strong. Coffee's a dominant flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting the rum into it. So what I started looking at was once again, when it comes to rum, what do you taste? And you know, moonshine. If you were to proof it down, uh, vodka with the same proof, rum with the same proof, it can be a little difficult to tell the difference pre-barrel. I agree. Right? Barrels makes the world a difference with all these liquors. Um, so it was actually the rum barrel that started to come to mind. So we took these beans, these green coffee beans, we threw them into a rum barrel and let them just soak up the flavor. You took green and coffee green beans, coffee. unroasted green, coffee, green beans. coffee beans, put them in a rum it's barrel, barrel. with a, a full rum barrel? No, with no rum, a, a used rum barrel. Okay. Okay. So you, 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 a barrel's worth of green coffee beans. Okay. Sorry if I'm slow, but I just need to like, it's so bizarre. I've never heard of this. So I need to make sure that I'm not, you know, having a fever dream. (laughs) Well, uh, so we took, we barrel aged those coffee beans and then they came over here. They went to Mama Mocha, which is one of our roasters. roasters. And uh, it's a long story there, but basically I never liked beer, so I tried hers because her beer, her her coffee is just amazing. Never like coffee, so I tried hers. Nice. Um, so we bring them over here. She's the one that roasts them, and then we put that coffee into the beer. And once again, I taste the barrel and I taste the coffee in this stout. Traditional English stout, um, Burton on Trent water profile, um, maybe a touch more calcium, and then the coffee. Being a Caribbean stout, what we were going for, I threw some cashmere hops in there because there's a bit of coconut. And for the first time, I actually had someone at the bar saying, man, I taste coconut. Um, Nice. But yeah, very tropical hops on that. We've got the cashmere, EKG, and a touch of magnum for the bitter. But it's that cashmere that sort of throws the tropical properties into the beer. Like, uh, what do they call it? Is foreign export, I think, is now. They've changed the categories recently, and I can't remember what it is. But uh, there is that, that, or maybe it is. You said Caribbean stout. Isn't that what the new category is? Yeah, yeah where it's like a little beefier in alcohol. Is there a little, I, I thought there was, or it's. Not, not in the category. I think it's like, like, like you were saying, like import export stout. Something, something like, like that, that. yeah. Yeah, but um, our goal is hard to send it to BJCP to figure out what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. We want to increase the category. Like we I'll want put it to put the category. I'll put it this way. When we when we were trying to get this thing approved with a TTB, it was a nightmare. I mean, it took us probably three months to get go through the process because we wanted the can to specify on the front or, or to specify Caribbean stout. You know, that was just, we wanted people to know, but we didn't brew it in the Caribbean. So they said, obviously it was, you know, Oh, you're misleading. I'm like, no, it's just 
the style we're going for. So they let us put in in the nice fine print handcrafted in the US and that cleared everything up. Had they okay. told me that like three months prior, we would have been had probably came out with a lot faster, <laughs> but um you know we didn't have formula approval tomato potatoes what it is. But you know the the cool thing with this project for this particular beer is you know Emmanuel he's got you know he's got the contacts in Puerto Rico to get us the green coffee beans rum barrels and everything our roaster for coffee is two doors down from us when we get it like we've had we were able to have total control of how every aspect of this beer hmm. sort of attributed to the finished product yeah uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't oh we just got some roasted beans hopefully they're all puerto rican and not mixed with some guatemalan and things like that you know these are actually all puerto rican coffee beans you know the rum barrels came from you know a, a, a rum distillery in puerto rico the you know the um it was roasted right next to us we were able to speak to her and figure out exactly at what point we need to put this into the into the beer and how long and all this kind of stuff what, what it's going to do you know the longer we, we the longer we boil it and things like that um, all the way to, you know, just our, you know, aspect of, you know, what hops are using, things like that. And I think it, it came out in the end to be a really good sort of well-rounded beer where you're not just having a coffee stout. You're not having a rum barrel stout. You're not having a stout. You're having a little bit of everything. Yeah. It, yes, that's absolutely correct. And, and I'll be honest, I don't really know what to say about it. It's, it's good. And, and, but that's underwhelming of a word to, to use. It is, I think you've, again, I think you've achieved your goal because you can't sit here and go, well, like you said, this is a coffee stout because you sort of taste the coffee, but you can also go, well, look, I've had, uh, you know, higher roasted stouts before as well. So it could just be that. And then you go, oh, I can taste the rum. Like, go, well, I've had caramel malts and stouts before too. Rum can, can have that sort of effect on it. That's fine too. Oh, I can taste the barrel. Yeah, but it could also be, you know I mean? You can sort of excuse away a lot of these flavors and I, it sounds like maybe that's what you're going for, but I, that's sort of what I appreciate about it, because it's a beer first, and I've said this fucking from day one. It's a beer first. If you make a barrel aged beer, don't get confused that barrel is first. It should be a beer aged in a barrel. It tastes like a beer first. This tastes like a beer first. It has a creamy mouthfeel, so it's almost like the sort of pastry stout flavor profile. But not as like sickly sweet or whatever. There's there's a, a, a nice amount of body to it. Um, there's a good sweetness, and then the uh, the the tannin from the barrel comes through. Um, the dryness comes through, and it sort of it leaves you with this like you know I can't tell if it's roasted malt or if it's coffee, and I like that. No, I like that as a brewer. The one of the best compliments is just when someone's kind of like that's good. Yeah, and it's and I like love that. the the nose is kind of spicy, like uh, w- like I because I I have a small terrible roaster at home where I roast green coffee beans where you literally push the medium setting because I don't want to invest four hundred dollars in a like a B more coffee roaster, right? But um, <laughs> to me, green coffee beans when you open the bag, there is a spiciness of in the in the aroma, and that's I can I can get that out of here, and I know that there's no green coffee beans in here, but it's that this is what I mean. It, there's so much. There's so much going on with these ingredients that Emmanuel's given you that it's like it it this is it's it's a beer that you are sometimes we get beers 
And I'm going way too long on this subject. But sometimes we get beers and we sit down and we go, fuck, I have to really slog through all this shit. Like, what is this? What am I tasting here? But everything is so lightly done. It's like a meal. It's like a dish where you're just enjoying everything together. And then you can pick it apart if you want to to identify flavors, but you don't have to because it's all just sort of works really, really well together. That's all I'm going to say. On. You know, after you say that, the next beer dinner I do is just going to have five beers and no food. <laughs> it's just this. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a boot, a stiefel of this, Germans. See if you come back. I would I would go to that dinner. That would be fine <laughs> for me. No, I mean, honestly, yeah. sometimes people, when they barrel age beers, there are these like super crazy beers that you can only drink just a four ounce pour. And then you're overwhelmed and like, I, I love barrel aging a beer that's like, you know, a, a beer that you could actually drink, you could really enjoy and you can taste that barrel instead of tasting all the crazy stuff and the sweetness that they put into the barrel, you know, it's just yeah. trying to make it so over the top. Emmanuel, can you tell yeah. us uh, the distillery that this came from? It's uh, San Juan Artisan Distillers. Um, it, it's a new project. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's actually a really exciting new project on the island because it's, they're one of the few people that grow their own sugarcane and then distill it in alambic pot stills. Oh, Nice. So, I mean, everybody buys sugar from the outside. Everybody dumps it into huge column still distillers. Um, here, they're really trying to do the right thing. And uh, the products that they're coming out with are really interesting and really well done. So Excellent. It was, uh, it was definitely uh, after going around and visiting a number of the rum producers, that was the one that I felt like okay, these guys are really trying to do the right thing and kind of would understand where we're coming from and what we want to achieve. Um, so. That sounds great. Yeah, it, it, it seems like there is sort of that move back to, you know, growing your own sugarcane. It is a lot. And I think a lot of it follows in the wine footsteps where, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, getting breweries, uh, you know, growing their own hops and their own barley and, and some breweries malting their own barley. Uh, you know, and having full control over that. But, uh, you know, I was reading a couple of years ago, I think Hawaii just, I think they just had their first distillery to grow their own sugarcane and produce it and distill it on the island in years. So it's this sort of like resurgence of, of you know, these small communities handling their, their, own, their own sugar. Well, and in the wine business, that's a common theme with high-end wineries, right? It's single yeah. vineyard. It's the idea of encapsulating a special place. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we actually have a beer um, that we're doing now in barrel, uh, a Lambic that we're doing, where the barrels came from, from Mura, from the winery, oh. uh, from a very famous vineyard called Pisoni uh, in Santa Lucia that we had aged, used those barrels to age Pinot Noir. And then we got Pinot Noir grapes shipped overnight to start the fermentation for the Lambic while spontaneous fermentation. So 
Um, eventually, that will come out next, uh, I think, what, about On Christmas. December? December it'll, be for, next- it'll be for Christmas uh, release, basically. It'll be before Christmas, but get those little holiday packages together. You know, Next year, not this year, yeah. not next month. Yeah, when we when we said, you know, when we were coming up with a concept for this one, we were like, you know, we really want to sort of, you know, encapsulate the the full Mira project that we've got going on. And, you know, we wanted to do a wild, you know, this is about as crazy as we're going to get, you know. <laughs> so we decided, you know, let's I want you to take a bag and hold it under the grapes and let them just sort of clip them off and drop them in there. I don't want them washed. I don't want anything like that. Yeah. We're gonna do it just like you do the wine, you know. Yeah. We're, it's that's how he does his wine, and that's how we're gonna put it in the beer. Oh yeah, at um, Mira, you 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 don't um, you don't uh, hit it with sulfite and, and pitch yeast. You do sort of the natural fermentation. It, at Mira, all all the wines, whether Mira or Close Pisano in Spain, all are native fermentations uh, to start, because that's yeah. part of the signature of that place is the right. yeast that grows on those. Grapes, because every you know every every place has a unique set of yeast that grows in that place, yeah. and if you wipe that out and you know lab or cultured yeast basically kill the native yeast and take over fermentations, um, and so I think it's also a very important part of winemaking is to have native yeast. Uh, because that's that's part of the signature of the place. You know, I, it's funny you mention that because the, the, my my two favorite wineries are all they're, they're both natural fermentation. One's Ridge, and the other is Bedrock, and and they're you know they're both known for like their their zins, but they do you know they they sort of like branch out a little bit more. But they're the natural fermentation, and you do get those those different flavors that you don't find in some other wineries who just nuke everything, and then you know here's a dry yeast, dump it in punch the cap, do whatever, and then it's gone, right? Um, right. So that's cool. Uh, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying your wine. That's, uh, uh, that, that sounds great. We'll get, we'll get some to you. I would love that. Are you kidding me? I would, I would, I'd freak out. Yeah, this is good, man. You know, it sounds like a really good partnership you guys have going on because you both understand each other, and I think, Kelly, you can work with uh, these weird-ass ideas that Emmanuel gives you. Because <laughs> they're, I mean, you, they're, they're, they're beautifully executed. They're well thought out. Um, you know, I can definitely see the, uh, you know, how these things have progressed in, you know, in talking to you guys. So, uh, uh, thank you for sending them. They're, they're great, Teresa. I'm sorry. Cheers, brother. <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> That's right. I was yeah. I was working with Monica on a beer trade in the chat while oh. we're all talking. So I I, I won't have your do beer it. like on the podcast, but I'll have it. You got to do I, it. I know how to work this stuff out. Info, we'll get it to you. We have to send you some. <laughs> Just let us know. I mean, Steve is going to be pissed off, but let us know. <laughs> well, and I'm. I'm gonna send some back, so don't even. There you yeah. go. It's it's gonna be even, even Steven. Oh, Steven, all right, even Steven. He's like, man, I'm tired of that shit. Um, <laughs> you you, you got to do it. I've Teresa. heard that a million times. Yeah. Sending, sending, you know, two six packs of beer to California. We found out that's not very cheap. No, <laughs> because I got a call. From yeah, Steve. well, things are just been outrageous. Well, <laughs> you just. Puerto you Rico have to, you have to make sure it's, oh yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah. 
Oh, so importing those barrels there. from Puerto Rico wasn't cheap. No, right. Well, barrels, and that's uh, barrels from Napa Valley weren't cheap either. No, that was that was a no. a call from Steve. And yeah, I mean, if if yeah. if, if, if you yeah, you got to find a winery that that you can work with, and it sounds like you you have because otherwise you're like, well, you know, I paid four or five hundred dollars for this barrel. What am I going to sell it to you for? You know, right? <laughs> barrels are barrels are, are are very expensive. Well. Guys, I'm gonna let you go. I really appreciate you you staying on. I know it's uh, you know it's it's getting late out there, um, but where can we where can we learn more um, about Red Clay? Uh, uh, please. Well, we're on a uh, uh, RedClayBrewingCompany.com, okay. uh, Facebook, Instagram, Untapped. Um, uh, like we mentioned, right now we are uh, distributed in Alabama, um, but we are branching out to California about the first of the year and also Puerto Rico the first of the year. Nice. So, nice. Um, you know, the goal is to, to, you know, get this project out, you know, luckily um, with, with Emmanuel already having, you know, the um, his product, his wine projects, you know, in these areas, you know, right now, I mean, I'm sure you guys know nobody's taking on new new things and and it, it's it's really amazing to to have these people you know give us this shot and um you know be able to take us on and and and, and try our beers out out in california and nice. uh, in puerto rico so um definitely looking forward to to that and we've uh actually got a new coffee project we're gonna be coming out on uh as well before too long so um, coffee project yeah so it's it's going to be sort of uh, Islero is the name of it, and it's sort of the same concept. You'll see some of the similar labeling as Mira, and um, sort of the same concept with the coffee. Um, will be a single origin uh, coffee, cold brew that'll be canned. So oh man, I love yeah. a good canned cold Very brew. Very cool, honestly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Then, uh, Emmanuel, what about what about you and your wineries? Uh, you want to plug anything there? Well, uh, apart from what we do, we just launched uh, a new project. Uh, this is what happens when there's a pandemic and you have a mass sommelier that sits around with too much time. <laughs> uh, he starts thinking of things, too many things. Yeah. And we just launched our first wine in mm. a can. Wine in a can. Oh, yes. My wife will be That's very happy. Very good. Is, so, that, a, is that a rosé? Uh, we we have a uh, we have four actually we okay. do a Pinot Grigio, uh, a barrel fermented Chardonnay, a rosé of Pinot Noir, and then a red blend. I love a good rosé, and I will never be afraid to admit that. I, oh, I love it. <laughs> they're amazing. And there was a time when it was like rosé was like oh, it's not really a man's wine. I don't know why that started. I mean, I guess I do know why, but uh, it, it's amazing. The most wine I've ever drank in a sitting has been a, a rosé in Florida on my honeymoon. <laughs> just by the pool it's like one in the morning big glass full of rosé let's go why not what are you gonna do <laughs> which if you need something to pair with a rosé chocolate chip cookies Ch- really okay. really emmanuel what do you I was, think i was out at, All right. I was out at the vineyard uh-huh. in Monterey. yeah i had some of their rosé and the guy's mother was cooking italian sausage and and had some homemade cookies and i was drinking rosé with italian sausage and homemade cookies and that was the best but I, I don't know if I just had too much or yeah, <laughs> it was delicious. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's the next uh, Mira beer. I don't know. What do you think? It was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, man. Uh, so how do we get rosé sausage and chocolate chip cookies? 
into a beer. I don't know, but Stephen, <laughs> oh, Stephen's oh, eyes are rolling yeah, back in his head right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. Sounds too expensive, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, we're just not going to do it. She's going to kill that project right now. Um, all right, thanks, everybody, for uh, for tuning in. This has been The Session, and uh, we'll see you later. Justin's in my sky and winning the race. JP does great